Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today in health IT, testing the reproducibility of GPT-4 in a clinical setting. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels and events dedicated to leveraging the power of community to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors who are investing in developing the next generation of health leaders, SureTest, Artisite, Parlance, Certify Health, Notable, and ServiceNow. Check them out at This Week Health dot com slash today you want to help us out share this podcast with a friend or colleague use it as a foundation for daily or weekly discussions on topics that are relevant to you and the industry they can subscribe wherever they listen to podcasts all right today i'm at one of the 229 roundtable events with some security officers some healthcare leaders and we're going to have some discussions around that the exciting news around that is that we've raised another $5,000 for childhood cancer. And every time we get together, we ask the sponsors to contribute on behalf of the members who come to the 229 events. And these sponsors stepped up and contributed another $5,000. So we are up over $55,000 for the year on our goal of 50,000. So we really appreciate your generosity and the generosity of everybody involved. If you want to contribute, go ahead and hit our website, top right-hand column. You're going to see a logo for the lemonade stand. Click on that to give today. We believe in the generosity of our community, and we thank you in advance. All right. I love it when, you know, things progress. I don't know how to say it any differently. So I did a podcast, and we talked about John Holomka's comments on generative AI and how it's not reliable. And the, the main topic there was that generative AI is probabilistic and not deterministic. So most algorithms are deterministic. They have a set of rules. So you take some some data, you pass it through a set of rules, and it comes out with the same thing every time. That's deterministic. Probabilistic means it is essentially identifying what the next most probable word is in the sentence. And so when you take things like you throw a whole bunch of notes at uh, clinical notes at a system and ask it to summarize those things, it's it's probabilistic. It's saying, well, this is probably the next word, probably the next word, and so forth and so on. And it's amazing, given that probabilistic nature, how accurate GPT-4 and other large language models are. But at the end of the day, they will produce different answers. And so Kevin Malloy is someone who listens to the show and somebody who I've had on the show. He is what I would call a physician nerd. And I love clinical nerds because they will make this work. They will take their medical background and they will take their knowledge of technology and they will bring the two together and they will make sure that this technology gets implemented in a way that is safe, that is effective for the clinician and that moves healthcare forward. And so he wrote an article on LinkedIn where he shared an experiment that he did. And he said, I have been enthralled with OpenAI's function calling, where you can basically request a response in JSON 
to plug into your user interface, i.e. Fire app, mPage, etc. So I created a simple web app, getexperiments.patient.dev, that would use function calling and let the user enter a triage nurse blurb and get the top five likely conditions according to GPT-4 as well as probability and reasoning. So if you go to that site, and you can, again, it's get experiments. Actually, that takes, let's see, getexperiments.patient.dev. All right, so I go over here, it has system prompt, and it has user prompt, then it has description of table fields, and then it comes back with a condition. Now, if you do this, you're gonna have to put in your OpenAI key. He doesn't store it, he's not collecting them, but it's just required in order to utilize the API and get it over there. Now, if you have your own, you could write this code. It's it's not overly hard. If you have some programming background, it's not overly hard to write this kind of code. And if you have the API, it's really not hard. You could also use something like, like Zapier, which is what we're using over here for uh, generating notes and whatnot around our interviews that we do. So we do a 45-minute interview. We send it over to Zapier and we use their interface to to go back and forth with our open API, a open ChatGPT, open AI API. There you go. And it provides a response. And that's essentially what's going on here. So let me give you a little bit of what's, what he has done. As I played around with it, I noticed that even with the same exact input, GPT-4 would give me different answers. That's the probabilistic nature of GPT-4. So I captured 50 sequential API requests using functional calling against the open API, open AI API, put them in a Google sheet. You can check out the exact object sent at the bottom and copy and paste it yourself. And he has a link to the Google sheet. This by the way is in LinkedIn. If you want to find it on LinkedIn, you can follow Kevin Malloy, M-D, M-A-L-O-Y. And the article title is Re Reproducibility of GPT-4 in Healthcare, an Experiment. Okay, and this is what he sent. The nurse triage note user prompt was 55-year-old male, history of diabetes mellitus, hypertension with two weeks of right upper quadrant pain, chest pain. There you go. And he said 49 out of 50, 98% of the time, GPT-4 returned the top most probable diagnosis as having to do with gallbladder disease, acute cholecystitis, chronic cholecystitis, and gallstones. So there you go. Oddly, the one non-gallbladder-related top diagnosis was GERD, which our clinicians would know is gastroesophageal reflux disease, which is somewhat disturbing as I asked GPT to imagine they were an ER doc, and I don't know any ER doc who would think the most probable diagnosis in a 55-year-old male with those symptoms would be GERD. I imagine most would think of more life-threatening diagnosis as acute coronary syndrome, gallbladder pathology, pancreatitis, etc. Ask GPT advanced data analysis to help with how similar each run was, and it suggested using the Jacquard similarity. On average, the runs have a Jacquard similarity of 3.41% to 6.97%, indicating that there's a moderate amount of variation in the diagnosis generated across different runs. His take on this, he summarizes it, he has two. One, function calling has insane potential for fire apps. 
and pages anything in the EHR that can do simple network requests and then process JSON. And that's absolutely true. The more I use GPT-4, the more I just ruminate on different ideas of how we can utilize it over here. And if I were in the CIO role for a health system, I would be doing the same thing, except I would be doing it with a set of nurses and doctors and exposing them to the technology and asking them how it might be used. The other thing I would say is I also agree that, that there's one thing to sit in front of the prompt and go ahead and put it in, and they now have a an iPhone app that you can have it right on your iPhone and, and put the prompts in. It's one thing to have that. It's another thing to use the API because the API builds it right into the workflow. It's really, really fascinating. Anyway, his second thing is there is a considerable amount of variation, which worries me, but it probably produces more relevant and useful NLP responses than anything we have. It brings to mind the saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of getting stuff done. Given the right use cases, such as copilot for differential based on minimal triage text, function calling in GPT can be helpful in the ER, especially at 3 a.m. And that gets back to, I mean, my so what on this is absolutely recognize the power of this, especially with an API. I agree a thousand percent. And then the second thing, which he talks about, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of making progress. But in order to do that, we have to adhere to the co-pilot design construct, which is really important. And we have to encourage people not to get lazy. It is very easy to get lazy with these kinds of tools and to rely on them too heavily. And then all of a sudden we've created a problem which gets written up in a journal. You get the, the whole idea. The co-pilot design construct, drive this into your healthcare organizations. AI as a co-pilot, AI not as the pilot. And hopefully if you drive that in, and it's there's a cultural adoption to this that cannot be overlooked. Yes, we're going to talk about the technology. Yes, we're going to talk about APIs. Yes, we're going to talk about the the probabilistic versus deterministic. We're going to talk about a lot of techie kind of things, but at the end of the day, there's a cultural adoption that needs to happen here. And we can't err on either side. We can't err on the side of, you know, hey, adopt at all costs. And we can't err on the side of moving too slowly. In doing that, we have to have the right design construct. We have to educate people on how they can use AI effectively in their environment. So again, bring teams together, start having conversations. I read a great article on how Cedar sinai is bringing people together on the AI-a-thons. I guess we had hackathons for a while, now we have AI-a-thons. But essentially, they're bringing people together and they're soliciting their ideas and their thoughts on how generative AI can be brought into the clinical setting. And it's everything from the patient journey to note summary to you name it. If you put, a, if you put enough clinicians into a room, especially ones that on the scale tend towards the the nerdy side, they like technology, they play with technology, and they have become familiar with GPT-4, they're going to have ideas. They're going to have interesting ideas. Now, some are going to be viable, some aren't. That's the reason you do AI-a-thons. And one of the things that they've done at Cedars is the best idea actually gets some funding, and they actually move it forward. And I, I love that concept. I love the exposure it creates. I love the culture it creates. And I love the incentive that it creates for clinicians to get involved in moving this technology forward in a uh, safe and effective way. 
Uh, I want to thank Kevin Malloy again. If, if you haven't followed him, follow him on LinkedIn. He uh, and I recorded a show a while back, so you can find him on our website as well. And he is on the nerdy scale, probably pretty far over. He, he does a lot of work with fire and a lot of programming work and whatnot. So, and I love it. I love uh, where he's taking this. I love the experiments that he's doing in moving this body of knowledge forward. So thanks Kevin for doing that. Appreciate it. And uh, that's all for today. So don't forget, share this podcast with a friend or colleague. It really helps out and uh, start having conversations about it. We want to thank our channel partners who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders, SureTest, Artisite, Parlance, Certify Health, Notable, and ServiceNow. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.